So we're going to start with another little bit of an introduction, um, similar to last time, but I'll keep it much shorter this time. Um, I'm just going to go back a drop in the slideshow that I showed last week. I, I changed it up a bit just to give us a little bit of a clearer. Also, before, um, before I get to that, just I don't have everyone's names yet. So um, if you're sharing a question or sharing a comment, please introduce yourself. Like this, I can know, get to know who I'm talking to. Um, all right. So I just, in the third, I think it's the third or so. Yeah. The third slide, I just had a picture of a picture of a page of Tamar. But I figured if I color coded a bit, it might just make it a little more visual and a little more understandable. Although I am not, I am not pro coloring in um, an actual page of Tamar, but I made copies and I was taught where I, where I got my rabbinic studies in Australia that when you're using it to teach or to learn better, you could, um, you're, you're, you're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to make, uh, you're allowed to color code some things. So just, we went through this last week, but I feel like it's worth going through again, especially that I, I, I did two pages that would have been side by side. So if you were to open up a page of Tom, it will look similar like this. Obviously, um, the pages would be a little more aligned, aligned and there'd be more white space. I was just trying to uh, um, get this over to the slide in the best way possible. So if you look at this page, this is the, this actually the, the parak that we're learning. And hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll get to, well, over the next few classes, we will get to page Lama Dalar and Aleph as well. So just to go through this again, but just a little more color code. And if anyone wants, um, Rabbi, Ari, Rabbi, Rabbi Ari has this slideshow, so he could share this with you as well. So we are obviously, well, uh, the middle of the page is the Tamar. Uh, just to make it so over here on, it's always on the outer side of the page. On your most most pages of your Talmud, on the outer page, you'll have the the which daf it is, the page number. So Lamed Gimel, I color coded color color coded that in orange, um, and on both sides, always it's like on the outer side of the page, and then you have where I color coded in blue, you have the Amud, which is the side number. So right over here, you have Lamed Gimel Amud Beis, and this is actually the, the section of which we're going to be learning, which will also turn over, well, not turn over, will be the other side of, the other side of the page will be Lama Dalar Amar Aleph. So that's the Daf and the Amur. The, the pink here, I color-coded the name of the chapter. So we are learning chapter Hamafkid, um, but on the page that we started, the Mishnah, if you recall, is in the middle of the page. So the top of the page will go with the name of that of what's on top. Um, on the middle, you have the number of the chapter, Parak Shani, the second chapter, uh, which is really Elu Mitzios. Uh, we're studying Hamafkid, which is the third chapter. And on the left of the of the header, you have the name of the Masechta. So I just wanted to show you that. Um, over here, I just added in. Similarly, Rashi and Tosfus. Rashi is always on the inside of the page. I color coded it red. And then on the outer, the outer of the page, you have where this right here. Oh, no. That was, uh, 
sorry. That was on the outside towards the outside of the page. On the outer side of the DAF, you have Tosvos. Over here, there's other commentaries. Hopefully, over the other classes, we will go discuss at least a few of them. But this is the primary uh, a regular page in Talmud. We'll have Rashi, Tosvos, and this is what it would look like. These other commentaries or side notes are worth discussing, but they're not on every page of Talmud. So perhaps we'll bring it up in another class. Um, but again, it's not on every page of the Talmud. So this is what I just thought that would help. And over here, if you see at the end, they just, that would be Hadran Alecha Elamitsiyas. We are done the chapter of Elamitsiyot. And then, so that was, that's just that. I wanted to go through that quickly again. So again, you have the Daf, the Amud, the Daf is the page, the Amud is the side. You have the name of the chapter on the right of the header, the number of the chapter middle. And on the left, you have the number, the name of the Masechta, which I will discuss shortly. Because if you look at the name, the name sounds like we're speaking about a Yiddish Ababa, almost, Ababa. Um, we'll get to that. So just quickly, and again, not as a, not as a study for itself, but just, again, it just helps with the Talmud and it brings out a little, it brings out the point that I want to bring about the name of the Masechta that we're learning, of the tractate that we're learning. So in general, the Mishnah, I'm just going to give a little intro about the Mishnah, but again, the idea of it is just to help us lead into the name of our tractate that we're learning, which will uh, just give us a little more clarity in the, the broader picture. So we have the Mishnah is the six books of the Mishnah, the Shisha Sidra Mishnah. I tried writing it in Hebrew here, but that didn't work out. I don't know why, but you have it here on, it's not the clearest picture, but this is what I was able to find. Um, not clear at all, um, but I'm going to try replacing that. So you have the Shisha Sidra Mishnah. Just to go through them quickly, you have Zrayim, which is discusses the laws of planting of, of well, the, the, the different laws regarding stuff that grow. Uh, then you have the second one is Moed, which is times, set times, holidays. That's number two. Number three is Nashim, the laws regarding to that, that involve women. Um, number five, number four would be Nezikin, which would be the order of damagers. So court cases. Uh, people damaging other people's properties, the rules about judges, the rules about witnesses, all those would fall into Nezikin, which our tractate is part of. It's part of Sidr Nezikin. Then you have the rules of Kachim, the different rules regarding that's number five. The rules of Kachim are involved with um, the, the laws of different sacrifices. And then Taharos is purities, um, which they are involved with different rules of when things become pure or impure. So that is the six tractates and the six orders. And each one has around 10 or some, I see one of them has seven, 12 or so different tractates. And pretty much knowing the name of the, of the tractate tells you in which order it'll be and also gives you a very clear picture of the topic being discussed. So, I was hoping that this picture would be a little clearer, but for example, if somebody tells you 
that they're going to be learning a Mishnah and tractate brachot, you could assume that it has something to do with blessings or prayer. Um, if somebody tells you that they're learning something in the laws of, in the Mishnah of Shabbos, safe to assume it has something to do with Shabbos. However, and this is where we're going to go to, this is where we're going to go be going to ours, is the name of our tractate is Bava Metziah, which gives you no, gives you no window into the topic being discussed. And the reason for that is, is because originally this tractate was actually called Nizikin, the tractate of damager, of damages. However, it was a huge tractate. It was 30 chapters. And they split it up into three different trap chapter, well, into three different books. So like a series of books. So you have the three gates, Bavas, the three Bavas, that means the three gates. And you have Baba, Bava Kama is the first gate, made up of 10 chapters. And in the Talmud, it has 119 pages of Gemara. Bava Metziah, which is the tractate where we're, which we're learning is the middle gate. So Bava is gate, Metziah is middle, made up of 10 chapters and 119 daf pages in the Talmud. And then you have Bava Basra, the last gate, Again, made up of 10 chapters and 176 pages of the Talmud. So um, just I, I can imagine trying to study these books in yeshiva because these are all tractates that are studied in yeshiva and to try fitting that into one book or into one locker or into one backpack wouldn't be so much fun. Um, so they thankfully decided to split it up. But again, the name doesn't give us any information of what of what chapter, what the topics being discussed are. So I felt that the introduction for today is just to go over that quickly, what the three different tractates in this series discuss. And again, just as good information to know when studying the Talmud. So Baba Kama, which is the first gate, has 10 chapters, 119 pages, and primarily deal with the laws of damagers. So you're um, just to go to, to stick with the first Mishnah in the first um, Mishnah and tract a Bavakama on the first gate is it starts off with letting you know the four different types of damagers that you are responsible for or, or the four primary damagers. So a human, a person's animal, if he doesn't protect it, a person's fire and, and one that, that, that uh, digs a pit. And again, tr that tractate really goes into definition of what's unique about each one. Fascinating, fascinating top, fascinating practical implications. But again, that's perhaps for another series. So again, that's Baba Kama deals primarily with different kinds of actual damages. Um, Baba Metziah, which is the middle gate, which we're studying, deals with financial disputes and matters. Not all of it is, is dispute-based, but it's it deals with the laws of finding a lost object or two people finding a lost object and debating who had got rights to it first. Uh, the tractate that we're dealing with is somebody giving somebody something to deposit. And now there is a possible dispute that might arise because once, once, uh, cause there's, 
possible beneficial financial gains that are available. Um, it deals with it deals with different laws about workers, hiring workers, hiring um, um, paying workers per job, paying workers per hour. Um, it deals with in general financial laws, um, giving giving money, giving money with um, lending out money, giving out money with um, with uh, uh, ribbis. Oh gosh, with interest. All those type of laws are discussed in Bava Metziah. And again, they're intertwined, but primarily an average Mishnah that you would open up deals with these issues. And then you have Bava Basra, the last gate, which has 10 chapters, 176 pages. It's a thick book. Get a pretty good exercise with that one. And it deals with real estate and land matters. Um, so it deals with... Um, with neighbors, with uh, with partners that want to split property, could you could you force your prop your neighbor or your 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 business partner to split a property with you? How would that work? And again, that is that could have very practical not could have has very practical implications because it happens that you're invested with somebody or somebody's doing business with another person and you want to break away or because you want to open up your own firm or because you just don't feel that comfortable doing business with that person, how, who has the rights to keep the property? At what price do you split it? How do you split it? Same thing is if you own a property, if you own, uh, and this is, a, uh, I know in Manhattan, this is a very common practice where people buy, buy buildings together with investors and the investor will buy the bottom floor only because of the retail space that there is. And in some cases, I, I know a situation where that covered more than a third of the price of the building. So it was a 10 floor building and the value of the retail space because it was on Fifth Avenue and the basement itself was worth half the property or around half the property. So the, 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 this, this man I know that wanted to buy the top 10 floors partnered up with one of the big realtors of Manhattan and so, so that tractate deals with situations like that where the building gets damaged, who needs to pay, who gets, um, who would get the air rights and questions like that. So that is again, Baba Basra, which is the last tractate, um, the third gate, which is the last tractate in this, this series of three. But again, we're studying the Baba Metziah, but when we're studying this name, I figured it's important to just know what the source of the name is and where it is, if it's called the middle gate, we should know what comes before that and what after that. And again, that just gives us some input into, um, into what, even though it doesn't say clearly the, the topic being discussed, we, uh, we have that knowing that which, knowing in which order, in which, in which gate it's in, in which Baba it's in, that gives us insight to what topic it's most probably being discussed. Um, at least general topic. Okay, so for the actual reading, doing the Gemara inside or studying that the, the actual page of the Talmud, um, we'll do a quick review of the Mishnah as it's a very important review is key to learning the Talmud. Um, we'll quickly go through the different um, things that we brought up last week 
the different skills that we discussed. And then we're going to go to our first piece of Talmud and we'll discuss that before we get to the actual class, before we get to the new piece of Talmud. So just a quick review, um, the ratio. Does anyone want to share with us the case of the ratio? The ratio is the beginning. Just a reminder, the ratio is the first case and ruling of our Mishnah. Anyone? All right. So if, any, if anyone wants to pipe in the middle, please. Um, but if one gives a animal to somebody to as a deposit and it gets stolen, he's a shomer, he's a watchman, and it gets stolen, and, but instead of swearing and leaving this person that deposited it sort of hanging until, well, leaves, leaving him in this doubtful place until he finds out what, till he finds his actual cow or finds the person who stole it, he decides, take your money and, and um, take your money instead of me swearing. Anyone want to share with us the rule in that situation where the watchman paid instead of swore? Anyone, anyone? All right. So we said just to go, just to see it inside the page. Well, here you'll, you'll see the English on the bottom. Um, the meme is shalim. The ratio finishes off. Who does he pay to? The me shepikadon, it's low to the one who has the deposit by him, the watchman. This watchman that agreed to pay out of pocket instead of swearing, he gets the financial rights and benefits that come with that transaction. Um, the Seifa, which is the second case of the Mishnah, um, deals with the situation, just to highlight a few key words, is he swears, Nishpa, he swears, and he doesn't want to pay. So he is going 100% with the Torah law, but he's not going above and beyond. So what would be the rule in that case is if the person who stole it is found, he pays the double. To who does he pay? So we have here, to the owner of the pledge. So that is our ratio. That is our seifa. Just a quick review. Now, a general rule about Talmud study especially in, context, in context of the first Mishnah of each chapter. And it ends up being for some reason that most, a lot of chapters in Talmud, the first Mishnah gets the biggest chunk of Talmud. So the first Mishnah gets the biggest focus of the Talmud and the later chapter, the later Mishnah, even in the same and even in the same chapter, will get a lot less, and very possibly because the first Mishnah in each chapter is the most general rule, and then the later chat, the later Mishnah are much more specific situations. So, just one piece of information. Not always it's like that, but as a general rule, it's pretty safe to say so as far as I recall. Um, so, and now that's just a general thing, but in Talmud, almost, I shouldn't say almost, many, many, many 
tractates. And this is the NEP, almost not, a lot of pieces of Talmud that come right after the Mishnah usually deal with a wording issue. Um, and sometimes the wording issue may not even have a direct, a direct implication to what's to, to the conversation that will continue. So last week, I mentioned that the big topic of this Mishnah is buying financial rights. And the first question of a Talmud will usually be a question on the wording and we'll deal with that and then continue in, continue on to the topic or continue on to the next words that it has an issue with and throughout and eventually get back to the main topic. Um, in this tractate, in this tractate Amafkid, what I like about it is, um, and why, why, one of the reasons why I picked this is it gives you a glimpse into the wording issues, but then right, gets right into the main topic. And you could have a tractate that could go on for two, three, or five or six pages dealing just with the wording issues. And not that it's not as valuable. Every word of Talmud is valuable. However, there is um, sometimes it's more difficult to appreciate such a page of Talmud, at least. Well, it is a more difficult, it's many times it's a more difficult um, page of Talmud to appreciate because it could go on for three or four pages bringing a proof to figure out what one word means. So over here we have the Gimel Mem, which means we're starting the Gemara. And again, we many times start with a question, a issue, a editing job. Well, a, a issue that could be found in the wording of the Mishnah. Um, before we go to this question and really, before we go to this Gemara, the Gemara's question, as a general rule from the Talmud's questions, you could see that the Talmud accepts that every word of the Mishnah is was, was written mindfully. Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, the author of the Mishnah, did not leave any word out if there isn't a reason, and he didn't put not one extra word in if there isn't a reason. And this is going back to the class, to, to why I wanted to bring up the idea that the design of the Mishnah is to be as precise as possible because the idea was for them to be able to carry the laws with them around. And you're usually not sharing extra information when you're trying to condense information. So accepting that, the Talmud starts off with a very, very basic wording question. Why does the Mishnah have to teach the word behema, a animal, and why does the Mishnah have to teach vessels? So here we could go back quickly to the first line of our Mishnah. One who deposits by his friends. A animal or a vessel. One of the Amarayim, one of the rabbis discussing this Mishnah wonders why would, why would the author of the Mishnah bring two examples? Why can't he just say one who deposits an object by his friend? 
that would be enough, seemingly would be enough to tell me the story of, to tell me the story of this Mishnah. If we to break down the Mishnah as a, a case and a rule, if I give you a situation and I say, if one deposits something by his friend. So that's what the Gemara's question is. And it's in line with what the Gemara asks in many Mishnahs. Why is this word there? Why using this word? So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a question. So let's just do that, that question one more time. Why did the, the author of the Mishnah teach Behema? And why does he need to teach the, the vessels? All right, so that's the question. And the answer is one word. But then he explains it. The answer is streaky. I need both. And this is a this is a rule brought in um, there's there's a in the back of tractate brachot, which is the first tractate of Talmud. There is a a not so spoken about book, which I found very helpful, and I was a little disappointed that I only found it later in life, but um but but it did me pretty well, thank God. There is, in the back of most, of most Talmuds, they have different commentary. And the back of Tractate Brachot, which again is the first tractate in the Mishnah as well, there's a book called Mavela Talmud, which means the gateway into the Talmud. And there is different discussion, and again, not my specialty, there's the is history and me sadly not sadly i it's not something i ever not i tried learning it but it's something that just doesn't stick in my head so the mother the talmud there is discussion in the history books who wrote it i am not sure what i mean there there's a general approach to who it is but i'm not there, there's a story behind it i'm not sure the details but there's a book called mother the talmud there's a commentary called mother the talmud and he shares general rules regarding the Mishnah and the Talmud. And he breaks it down into different situations and different wordings, how you know what's weird, um, what, how to help you know what's coming next. And he, when it comes to the word Srihi, he tells you as follows. Every time you see in the Talmud the word Sricha, or not, if it's not in, if it's, if it's in a context of an answer, so he's letting you know that I am telling you that each one of these is necessary for a halachic purpose. And that's the way, and that's why he needs to say it. So different answers sometimes will tell you, no, you're right. Only one of them is needed. When it comes to the word stricha, we're telling you that each one of these is necessary and are important to teach me something. So knowing that, every time you know you, 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 you see the word srichi or tsricha, you know that what's about to happen is, a, is that the Talmud is about to break down a thought process, a thought pattern that will tell you what each one of these pieces of each one of these words 
excuse me, or this situation is needed for the halachic, to understand the halacha, to understand, to properly understand the definition of the rules of the Mishnah. So now that we know that, why is that? So we know, perfect, the Talmud tells us each one of them is important. And if I would have one and not the other, I would be missing a, a concrete piece of halachic information that the author of the Mishnah wanted to give over. And before, let's, before we go inside, what the Talmud's about to do is, he's about to tell you that as much as the Mishnah includes a lot of information in very little words, you also have to make it clear that a lawyer, and I'm just using that as an example, wouldn't be able to use the wording that you said as a way to defend his client or to exempt his client from this situation. Meaning to say, if we were to be very specific or very general about a certain situation, perhaps one could use this as a way to try assuming that the law doesn't apply to him. And as long as he has a concrete reason to say that, no, no court would be able to obligate him in that punishment. Meaning to say, if he had, as long as a person has a solid defense and a proper explanation why the law that you said shouldn't apply to him, now there is the law doesn't apply to him. So the, the, the Mishnah is on one end very general, but he's also written in a way that people can't find loopholes to get away from the rule. And that's why our Mishnah had to cover two different types of cases, one of them being a vessel and one of them being an animal. Why so? The Itana Behema. For if the Mishnah would have taught this case and ruled by an animal, Hava Amina, I would have said, Behema hu demakni by an animal is when he sells him the rights to double. Why so? What, what could be unique about an animal that only in such a case would the depositor tell the watchman, you know what? You get the financial rights even though it might be bigger than your output. Says the Talmud, Mishon dinafish since it's a, large, a lot of bother, to bring the animal in and to bring the animal out. Meaning to say, before we go to the literal translation, when I give you an object to watch for me, according to Allah, it doesn't just mean that it sits in your garage. It means you take responsibility for it and you take care of it. So if I ask, Ask you to watch my cow and you didn't feed my cow you're pretty you're, you're that's called negligent um and the talmud again goes has pages upon pages there even the rules about if you borrow a safer torah from somebody no sorry not borrow 
If somebody asks you to watch a Sefer Torah, how many, how often do you need to roll it or unroll it so it shouldn't become moldy? It goes through rules with um with with um with rugs, expensive rugs. And even in the rugs, it goes through details. If it's a really expensive rugs and you hit it with this type of stick, you ruin it. And if you use it, and if you you need it, you need it, you need to clean it out like this. So when a person gives an animal to his friend to watch, it's not a it's not a walk. Uh, well, actually, it is a walk in the park. Literally, you have to take your you have to do for the animal. Ooh, no good. Um, I just got a message that my internet is unstable. So if there's any parts that you don't hear, please let me know right away. Like this, I could um, I'm I'm on full bars, but I did get the message that it's not so strong. So if if we're chopping up at a certain point, please let me know right away. Like this, I could. Wait until it's clear. Okay, so when it comes, when I give you an animal to watch, it's it is it's not an easy it's not an easy task because you have to feed it, you have to clean it, you have to bathe it, you have to uh, or whatever whatever animal depending on the animal and and depending on the animal care that you're used that animals used to giving that's what you have to get. Now, therefore, it is possible for one to say if the Mishnah would only say that this rule applies by a animal one could possibly say that the depositor has very positive feelings towards the watchman he worked very hard to take care of my cow it was it was a hassle when he agreed to watch my animal for me it was a real show of friendship. It was a real show of kindness. And therefore, when he, in a situation where he is ready to pay me, instead of swear to me, I am feeling very good to, towards him. And therefore, if, there, if the situation ends up that double needs to be paid, let the watchman have it. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. Okay, so he ended up with a little more money than me. Yeah, it's sort of, I'm paying him for the, the hassle that he had for those two weeks that he did take care of my cow before it was stolen. All right, so let's just do that logic one. If the Mishnah would only teach an animal, I would have said, meaning it would be possible to say, in court, by an animal he sells in the double, because there's a lot of bother to take it in and to take it out, to take care of the actual animal. However, if the, meaning, if the Mishnah would only say the case by animal, but it wouldn't say it by vessels, I would tell you that by vessels, However, but utensils, the that does not require a lot of bother. Let us say, perhaps the depositor does not sell the rights of the double to the watchman. 
Because what did he do for me already? What did he do? I gave him my, I gave him an object. It sat in his basement. He wanted to pay me because he wanted to pay me. Okay, he gave me free money. As a, as a, as a, per, I'm not ready to sell him financial rights. I'm not ready to sell him a financial rights. So I'm not ready to give him the rights to my financial gains because he was read, because he watched my, he watched a cup for me and he put it in the shelf. So that is, that is if, so that, that tells us that if the mission would only use the words animal, I would think that this rule about buying, about financial benefits will only take place when the depositor has positive feelings towards the watchman and therefore he's ready to sell him, he's ready to give him the rights to the double or the four or the five times. That is if I would have the word behemoth. Now, before we go to the other way of the other pro, the other way, just a reminder that when it comes to animal, there is the potential, there's a poten potential benefit of, of getting four or five times the value of the animal. And that is, if I ask you to watch my cow, uh, cow slash ox, or my sheep, and it was stolen, and after it was stolen, it was cooked or cooked or sold. So then the person who stole it needs to pay four or five times. So that piece of information is very necessary for the next three lines of the Talmud. If the Mishnah would only teach the case of Caleb, have Amina. I would have said, and again, important, at least in this context, means that it would be able to be said a lawyer a, or a, I mean, any person that's trying to defend himself would be able to say, by vessels, he sells him the double. By vessels, he sells him the double. Why? Mishum nafish since their, their potential their potential is never more than double. If I give you a vessel to watch for me and it gets stolen and I pay you instead of swearing and then a week later we found the guy that stole it, the most I'll be gaining from that is 100% profit. You gave me a $100 vessel, the most money after all the hassle of finding the guy that stole it, get him to pay for me, get him to pay for it. The most me, the most the watchman is ending up with is 100 extra dollars. The guy that the, the depositor, the guy that gave the, 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 the depositor that gave me the cup to watch says, Rabbi, I'm happy for you. Take your $100. For so much, so. <laughs> For the for the stress involved of you're not you know for 
it's worth me for, for the whole, for the whole scenario, it's worth me giving you that extra hundred dollars. As long as I don't have to, I'd rather have the hundred dollars today and know that I have the hundred dollars than need to find the guy that stole it and take him to court and dealing with him and hoping that he actually pays me. No problem. The double hundred dollar profit's not such a big deal, but that's only by a vessel. But by an animal, which if the one who stole it slaughters it or sells it, he pays the payment of four or five times. Right? So just to keep it to keep it simple for me. <laughs> a cow, let's say the cow was worth a hundred dollars. The potential gain that the watchman might have might be a 400 times, 400 times, right? I think um, it might be four times the value just because I paid you instead of swearing. Perhaps we could say in such a... I would have thought that the, 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 that the depositor is not ready to sell off the financial rights that exist in such a situation because the financial rights are so great. Therefore, therefore, finishes off the Gemara, Sricha, I need both. Because again, if I would say the word animal, I wouldn't know that the rule applies by a vessel which doesn't have any, any difficult challenge, any work involved in it. And if I would have only said, said the rule by, an, by a vessel, I would have potentially been able to argue in court the, the, the depositor would be able to argue in court and say, Rabbi, you really think, you know me, you know how cheap I am. You think I would be willing to sell that guy the rights of four or five times the value of my cow? Come on, Rabbi. That, you, yeah, yeah, I know that the Talmud tells me in a, by a vessel, the guy gets the double. I get that. But that's by a vessel. A vessel, I'm selling him the rights to $100. I'm not selling him the rights to three or $400. So Tzricha, the Talmud finishes off. Therefore, the Mishnah needs to say each one because each one covers another potential argument or a potential loophole that somebody would find in this ruling. That is... That is um, that is this this from Lamale Lemisni until the Tzricha. That is the the the, the thought part, pattern, the process of this. And again, it's a pretty it's a pretty common thought pattern that comes out in Talmud that comes up in Talmud of this idea of pointing out, although two things seem so similar, to point out one little detail in each one that makes it a totally different scenario or totally different situation which could lead one to debate to to argue that it's not a blanket statement that it's not a blanket rule 
Um, and that could come up in different forms. And um, over here, it comes up in the form of, of um, pointing out how each one has a totally unique, well, interesting now. By an animal, it has a unique trait that's an obligation on the watchman. And therefore, perhaps the depositor has more positive feelings towards him. And regarding a vessel, if we would only say a vessel, I would tell you that the rule only applies that the rule only applies in a certain in a certain set of rules, Torah rules, but not in in uh, rules that are not, but not in a similar financial situation. Um, does anyone have any questions on that piece of the Talmud? Please share. Um, I think you guys could all unmute yourself. Um, yeah. Anyone? Any any questions before I share my one of my thoughts on this piece of Talmud? No. Okay. So. I actually want to, um, before we go to the Rashi and then a quick review, um, I just would like to, you know, once in a while to do a Rashi or two. I, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thought that I have on this piece of Talmud where, where the Talmud is, is giving us a, a interesting outlook here. Two different ways of debating a situation. And it also gives us, the, again, it gives us a, a, clear, a clear picture into how Talmud works. Talmud is the link between the Torah, the way it's written, and the way we as humans act. Meaning to say, the Talmud takes every aspect into consideration. It takes the human's feelings, the human's, a human's thought process, a human's, a human's, us as people, how we act, how we behave. And at the same time, it takes the, the, every law in Torah serious. And you see that in these two, uh, two different chunks of Talmud. The first one where the Talmud says, if we would only say the situation of an animal, what are we dealing with? What would be the reason to say that the law only applies by an animal? is we're taking into consideration, consideration the depositor's feelings towards the watchman. We're telling you that perhaps by the situation of an animal is the, watch, is the depositor willing to sell off the financial rights because he is satisfied with the service you gave him. 
by a vessel, he doesn't appreciate what you did for him because you didn't do so much. So the whole consideration, when he authored the Mishnah, he took into consideration that years later, a person might debate, might say, I personally was not willing to sell the rights because I didn't like, because I, I didn't appreciate what the watchman did for me when all he did for me was watch a cup in his cupboard, in, 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 his, in, in his shelf. Or I gave him a watch and he put it in his safe. What did he do for me already? There, the Talmud is taking into consideration the human feelings. The human. Not the Torah law. There is no reason, there's no, there's no, there's no Torah reason to, to distinguish, to, to make a dip, to differentiate between a vessel and an animal. The only difference is what I feel you did for what the depositor feels the watchman did for him. And that would be enough of a reason to say that the, that to, to actually debate that in a Jewish court. And that's why we also have to say the word Kalim vessels. Then go to the second part where if we would only, where we, we discuss the possibility of only, of the, if the Mishnah would only say the word vessel, then we deal with a Torah law. I would tell you that the differentiation is that by vessels, it's only a double, it's only worth a double. It could only go up in value twice, but according to Jewish law, when it comes to an animal, it could go up four or five times. So perhaps the rules would be different. We are taking into consideration the Jewish law. And I, I find this amazing how this, 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 this few lines of Gemara gives us so much insight into how the Talmud works. It deals so much with the human, but it deals so much with every word and every law of Torah. A thought I had. All right. Um, again, please, please, if anyone has any questions, comments, concerns, um, I like being challenged. Um, okay. Hello? Yeah. Oh, good. It works. I wasn't sure how to say anything, but now I know. Um, Got it. I, I think I understand the um, rationale for the inclusion of behema more than I do the rationale for spe specifying kalim. Perfect. Um, and the rationale for behema doesn't really, in my mind, get into any subjective analysis of appreciation. It's more like an objective thing that you're going to have to potentially do more work. So if the scenario unfolds that there's a theft and the thief is caught, because you had this extra burden, it yeah. automatically entails the double reward. Whereas the Kalim, you stick it on a shelf and that's it. So um, the, why, should the, why should you get the benefit of the thief's double payment? Right. In other words, I'm not invoking any 
um, subjective feeling by the owner, the depositor, in that way of looking at the right. um, Got it. rationale for um, including, I mean, for, um, for, for yeah, including uh, Bahama, list, listing Bahama. Right. And you know, I can just try the other half too. You, you list Kayleem, I mean, if, if all it had said was Kayleem, you might think that it won't work for the guardian of a Bahama because there's a potential for a big win right. and, we don't, and we don't wanna give such a windfall. Right. If, if it just said Kayleem, we might think that um, that's all that's meant because we don't wanna have a scenario where right. Somebody could profit so greatly, but they both get the extra payment. So right. we have to include them both for the uh, those different reasons. Right. Is Great that... summary. Okay. Thank you. Just so want that, to be sure I got you, it. Oh yeah. So you were making sure you understand. Yes, one hundred percent. That was that was that was that was a a one summary. <laughs> Thank you. That was great. No, that was perfect. Um, so you brought up a certain point and we're, we're, uh, we're getting closer to nine o'clock, which one I like opening up the floor to questions. So the reason why I brought up this idea of the feeling of the, of the watch depositor towards the watchman um, is actually based, I mean, we're going to get there and we're going to get there next class, but that's really what the Gemara accepts. And we're going to get there. We're going, we're, we're going to, we're going to discuss it next week. Um, next class is um, that a lot of this is not based on actual wording of me selling you the rights, financial rights. It's based on an assumption. Um, it's based on the assumption that the, the depositor would, would, would be happy with that situation. Because at no moment was there an actual tran transfer of of a documentation or a wording or a statement, the double is yours. It's as a court, we're assuming that. We're assuming that you would rather, that you are comfortable with that, with that, with that transfer going from me potentially getting the double to you getting the double. And that's based on, that's based on the idea that, that it's a good transaction for me or else we wouldn't have the right, court wouldn't be able to write, have the right to assume that you're ready to transfer me the double if we're not 100% sure that you're happy with that, with that transfer of financial rights. So if we were dealing with a situation where you come to me and you say, um, dear watchman, the double is yours, then this wouldn't be a discussion because it was actual, there was actually a transfer of but because of this is so much based on, on the, what the court assumes, that's why a lot of it is based on what, what is right for us to assume. How could we, as a court, sort of be sure that the watch that depositor is ready to give away that money if he never said those words? Right? I see. Let's, let's finish off Thank with, you. with a quick review. Is that? Um, let's finish off with a quick review. Again, it's nine o'clock. I'll, I'll be on for a few more minutes if anyone has any more questions. Um, you know, let's, um, 
Let's uh, let's just do a quick review. We'll actually do the top the Gemara twice. We'll do the Gemara once just for what we learned today, and then we'll go back and do from the Mishnah just a quick best best way of doing review of getting Tom. Um, and again, we're just going to be focused on the translating and basic. Um, so says the. Says, I'm going to use the Yiddish word just because it's part of the experience. But zak the Gemara says the Gemara. Lama lelemisni behema. Why does the Mishnah need to teach animal? The lama lelemisni kelim. Why does the Mishnah need to teach vessels? We're going back. A wording question. Why use double language? Seemingly, one could have used somebody that gave a lost object. Somebody that gave an object or a product, ah, the, 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 the limits, or if these two, why these two? Maybe say, uh, say a cow and, uh, and uh, an animal and, I don't know, but why these two? Says the Gemara, we need both. And as we pointed out from the, from, the, from, the back, from the rule book of Talmud, from one of the rule books, that whenever you see the word it means we're going to point out why both of these situations are needed. We're not going to exclude any, rather we're going to say that each one is unique. Now, for if the Mishnah taught animal, I would have said, by an animal, he sells him the, the rights of double. Since it's a lot of bother. To bring the animal in and to bring the animal out, meaning there's a big burden on the watchman to take care of the animal, feed it, clean it, if it has a medical issue. So in such a case, the depositor is ready to sell the financial rights. However, vessels that does not require a lot of bother, that the watch depositor does not sell the watchman the double. So that's why it would be, that's why if we would only have animals, if the mission would only, only use the word animal, I would think that the rule only applies in a situation where there's a big burden for the depositor, for the watchman. The Etana Kalim, if the mission would only teach vessels, Havamina, I would have thought Kalim Hudekamakni Lake Fela. By vessels, he sells in the double. Why? What's unique about vessels? The situation of vessels. For it does not, since their potential double payment won't be more than double. You'll never end up by situation by vessels that the, that, that the, that the watchman will end up getting paid double. So, okay. However, by an animal, the chitava humachar. When he's cooked it or he sold it, he would need to pay the value of four or five. So the potential gain is much larger or the potential, the potential windfall. Say perhaps he doesn't sell him the double. The watchman's not ready to sell off the rights of such a big gain. Shricha, I need to have both. All right. Let's just do another power review, just the reading and the translation from the beginning of the Mishnah. One who deposits by his friend, animal or vessels, they were stolen or they were, they were stolen or they were lost. The watchman swore, paid, and he did not want to swear. 
Shirei Amru, for behold, they said, Shomer Chinam unpaid watchmen could swear and leave this leave this whole rule, leave and leave the leave the relationship. Nimza Ganev. So I, I don't know why. It's a new thing. I cannot say Ganev in English anymore. <laughs> it's a certain, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, I don't know what it is. So I'm just going to use the long way. The person that stole it was found. It's, it's a certain, it's like it, it started, I'm, I'm teaching this tractate this year in school as well. And it just doesn't roll off my tongue properly. So the one that stole it was found, Mishal in Tashlume Kaifal. He pays the payment of double. Tabach Machar. If the one who stole it cooked it or sold it, the Shalim Tashlumi Arba Bhamisha pays the payments of four or five. And this is key. Lemi Mishalim. To who does he pay? Lemishapikadunitzla to who the deposit is by, in other words, the watchman. Similar situation, but different. Right? Again, he deposits somebody deposits something by his friend. And it was lost or stolen. Now, instead of paying, this is the safe of the Mishnah. He swore, he didn't want to pay. The one who stole it was found. He pays the payment of double. If he cooked it or he sold it, he pays the payment of four or five. To whom does he pay? To the, to, the, to the owner of the deposit. The one who deposited. So that we have a ratio of the Mishnah, we have a safe of the Mishnah. Right? Then we have the Gemara. And again, as I as I just a quick review, that almost many Talmuds, at least the one on the first Mishnah, start off with a wording issue. Questioning a wording, challenging why you use that word, an editing issue, an editing, an editing job. Says Zakti Gemara, says the Gemara, Lama Lali Misni Behema. Why does the Mishnah? Have to say Why does the Tana need to teach vessels? Srichi, I need to have both. To eat Tana Behema, if the Mishnah would have taught animal, I would have said by an animal is when he sells him the double. Mishum de nafish tircha, since it's it's since it's a lot of bother, the ayule uleafuke to bring it in. And to take it out, however, vessels, that it does not require a lot of bother. I would say he didn't sound the right of double. So that's why I, if I would only say behema, vessels wouldn't be included. If we only, if, and if the Mishnah, if the Tana, the author of the Mishnah would only say vessels, would say vessels, and again, important to point out if we would only say vessels, although there isn't that word here, but we have to, we, are, we, we understand that that's what it means. If we would only teach vessels, I would have said this law applies only by vessels. Only by vessels does he sell them. Sorry, I made it, let me do that over. I would have said by vessels, is when he sells them the right of double. For it does not, since their potential double payment is not, won't be that much. Because because it's never more than double. However, 
when it was cooked or it was stolen, when it was cooked or sold, he pays the payment of four or five. We could say perhaps the depositor does not pay, does not sell the rights of double. Sricha, I need to have both. I need to have vessels and I need to have animals like this. It covers a broader spectrum of, of laws and that you can't use the wording as a way to exempt you from the law. All right. Next week, we go back to the discussion about buying potential rights. It's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big section in Talmud. We're going to try focusing on what it says here, but I hopefully will be sending just little pieces of information to Rabbi Ari next to, to, to Rabbi Solish next week to send that in the email. And again, any information that I send before the class won't be necessary, um, but might be a little helpful just to give you a broader picture of the next piece of Gemara. Right. Um, have a happy Hanukkah. Um, Rab- so first of all, Yeshakoach, amazing. Um, oh. Rabbi, are you open for a, a, a minute or two of Q&A or is that cool? 100%. Yes. Okay, so okay, I, and so I also I want to point out this. Before the q and I just want to say, listen, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're all here tonight. Listen, the other yeah. option is you can go and, 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 and take time off from Atlanta and go to a yeshiva somewhere and live in a dormitory and go or and sit on a bench, on a wooden bench and study Talmud or from the comfort of your own home. Tuesday nights with Rabbi Jacobson. I hope you appreciate what we have here, Rabbi Jacobson, Yashar Koach. All right, that's my little thank you. That's my way of saying thank you and thank you for all, thank you for teaching and thank all of you for being here and I hope you're appreciating it. All right, I am going to, um, I don't know if I need to help moderate, but Q&A, all right, Dr. Maxey. So my question is, sure. It sound, my question is what happened if the animal stolen was a heifer and the, he- and the heifer was pregnant and had yet another heifer. And so it sounds like next week you're going to answer that question because based on what we studied tonight, it sounds like you get max five times for the animal, end of story. But what if a heifer begets a heifer begets a heifer? And so what happens then? And so it sounds like that's what you're talking about next week. So two weeks is going to be yeah next week, perhaps the end of next week or two weeks will be or well, three weeks. Um, we'll be going through if yeah if there's babies involved okay yes that's that's that. but what the amazing thing is and me and rabbi solis were speaking about this last week that when you open up the floor to discussion on talmud it's amazing to see that so many of the questions that naturally come are the ones that the talmud deals with because it's such a thinking it's it's such a it's a book of thinking and as, as i mentioned in the class about the design of it is the dialogue so when we're having that dial, when we're having it, how many years later, we're still ha- we're having, we end up with the same questions that they had. It's pretty fascinating. That's why it's important to recognize that Talmud is, Talmud is a dialogue. And sometimes it gets frustrating because what's the conclusion? The answer is that takes a process. <laughs> so great. Uh, yeah, when there's babies involved will be next week. Um, Maybe we'll touch on it at the end of next week, but most probably next the, the, the class after the new year. Right next week, and then there's a week break, and then the first Tuesday in January. 
Next week is uh, is the idea of the general idea of buying of buying things that might exist. Right. Like Bitcoin. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, except for my Bitcoin, because that's real. Um, yeah, but Rabbi Jacobson, what I think what you're saying is we could write this thing based on our dialogue. Yeah. I'm I, totally. If, we could totally yeah. write the <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. we need a little more. I, I, I need a little more information and yeah. then a little more wit. But we're, we're almost but, And a little there. more we're speed. Almost, yeah. We're almost there. And I need and to be you, up to this every day also. This is not like, you know, that you can't, you can't check out of this half, you know, when, when the text message comes in. This is like, right. you got to be in this. <laughs> Makes sense they didn't have smartphones because this, this could not have happened any other way. <laughs> not with today's uh, distractions. Um, any other questions before we close out? Questions, comments? All good? Yashokoach, amazing. All right, folks, thank you for joining. Um, I, I'm going to let Rabbi Jacobson get the last word, but I just want to say thank you all. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you all for joining. Don't forget, help us get over the over the over the finish line in townjewishacademy.org/light. If you haven't yet helped us, please consider doing so. Um, our matching campaign ends in 46 minutes. So, all right, Rabbi Jacobson, final word. Final word is only 45 minutes left now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy Hanukkah. See you next week. God willing. Take care, everybody. Forward. All the best. Happy, Happy Hanukkah, Hanukkah, everybody. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah.